Hello and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr, where we talk about the art and culture of running an independent record label. And today we're talking about how to promote your record label. And we're wrapping up our month on marketing, um, which has been a lot of fun for me. And um, thank you so much for everyone who's picked up the book in this this month in this series. Um, has been to kind of highlight the new book release, Record Label Marketing Strategies. If you haven't yet, check that out. Um, it's available on Amazon. It's available on our website as well. Um, we're talking about how to build... Today, I want to talk about how to build long-term successful marketing plans for your record label and for your new releases. Our previous episodes in this series, so make sure you've uh, you've taken a listen to those, uh, have touched on identifying your record label's niche and building a social media strategy and understanding the power of lead time. This week, I want to look at some overarching concepts when it comes to marketing for your record label. The new book dives into more didactic and micro strategies, but today I want to go macro and I want to talk about some big picture ideas that will help you build your record label's brand more efficiently and promote your new releases more effectively. And I think that's uh, it's a good way to cap off this series is to kind of go broad um, I've, I've wanted to go into the, you know, I love this, this compound theory of all of these little micro things that, that make, make up these, these little steps that make up big, big leaps. And, um, but today we're kind of going up 30, 40,000 feet to look over what it really means to, to market and to promote our, our record label. You can take some of the notes while we chat, or you can go to otherrecordlabels.com slash marketing where I'm going to include the notes from today's episode as well as the video of today's episode and, of course, our free marketing checklist that you can grab will be there as well. Just go to otherrecordlabels.com slash marketing. If I had to summarize the entire new book and all the 25 chapters as well as if I had to summarize the marketing advice I've received from labels on the show and labels I've met with, and my own experiences running my own label and, and, and self-releasing music, these five things would probably be the most overarching that I could go, the biggest picture concepts. So let's do these five things to stay innovative with our marketing as a record label. Remember, that means branding the label as a whole, as well as promoting our artists as individual brands, and of course, their catalogs, their the new music, singles, EPs, merch, albums, vinyl, cassettes, whatever. We've got five things to go through. Very excited. Number one is different needs for different artists. Different artists for different needs. Different artists have different needs. <laughs> Lots of titles you could go with here. Don't necessarily apply the same template for every release and for every artist on your label. It's easier, I understand. And of course, there's uh, admin exceptions to this. Like, uh, like, obviously there are templates. We've talked about that before. I have templates. I get it. That's not what I'm saying here. This is just a call to be more creative, more empathetic to the needs and ambitions of each artist and also their personal tastes and their personal career expectations. Ask the artists what excites them and what ideas they have. Ask the artists their expectations for this new release. Get really specific. Really specific. I, I always visualize, and I know a lot of you do this, and I've done this before too, um, more so in the past, um, but I always visualize just having coffee with the artist, you know, when they're in the writing phase or the, or the recording phase, or maybe they have a record done, but like you still have a lot of time before you want to have it out. And I always just visualize, and I've had a, a lot of great meetings with artists over the years 
um, just over coffee and just kind of like chatting about everyone's expectations and and goals and kind of just forming that relationship. And so take it, do that, you know, and, and get really specific. What are their financial expectations? Like, that's what I really want to know. And, and sometimes an artist is like, oh, I want to break even on the recording costs. Or sometimes an artist will say, I need to pay rent. This is my rent. I need to pay rent, you know, which is totally fair. And some people say, oh, I have a, a, a full-time job. And this is I, just because I love making music and I want, I just want to keep making music. So I, it doesn't matter. I don't need to break even. And then you can also ask them about artistic expectations. Like what is their reason for doing this? Like, what is it that's important? I mean, it, for them, it might be just getting this music out there and to emulate the artists that have inspired them and hopefully inspire future artists and, and future music fans. And, and maybe that's what it is for them. You know, maybe they just love making things and they want vinyl for themselves. I had an, an artist once that was like, I just want vinyl. He's like, I just want to get this record out, out of my hair. And I want my own record on vinyl just once in my life. And we did. And it didn't, you know, like obviously it didn't sell well because it was just a bad time of year. And like the artist was essentially retiring, but like, um, it was just important to him to have vinyl and, and, you know, let, we made that happen. And of course we didn't break even, but it's okay. Like we, you know, the artist paid for it and, and it was important to the artist. So it's just, it's very important to ask what excites them and what ideas they have and try something new for each new release. Make a little goal that you should try to tap one new source that you've never tried before. Cater it to the type of release you're doing. Maybe do something with college radio. If you feel like it makes sense for this release, maybe a cool merch item with a really great design. If it makes sense with this release, maybe pay an Instagram influencer to promote a track. If it makes sense, you know what I mean? Understand that the opportunities you had for a previous release won't necessarily compound and be available to you for your next release. And this is a really tough pill to swallow. And if you're a veteran record label, you've probably already experienced this. And so you've learned this. If you're a new label, you'll, you run the risk of, of, um, of feeling like, oh, we just made this relationship with this blog or this curator. That means all of our future releases are going to be featured by them. And that's just, uh, it doesn't happen and it sucks. I, I, you know, and sometimes it does. Sometimes it's like you can rely on a writer to cover 75% of your material. But the fact of the matter is they're just not going to fall in love with everything. Like you fall in love with everything as a label owner, but they maybe won't fall in love with everything. Uh, and I learned that lesson and that was really tough. That was tough to, I always just thought that our connections would compound and our opportunities would compound. But what ends up, what ends up happening is that each release experiences their own like new opportunity that my previous release didn't have. And that ends up sometimes ends up just being unique to that release. We had this incredible opportunity back in 2015. I released a record and about a month and, it, and that record was featured by Bandcamp and it was a digital only release. And maybe a month or two later, we got re contacted by this company who offered to do a vinyl pressing for free. They were going to cover all the expenses, handle everything. They were going to give us a hundred copies for free and to the artists. And they were going to pay us a thousand dollars a licensing fee, and they were going to press a few hundred for their community. And I was like, this is an incredible deal. I was like, where do I sign? And, and it was, it was like such a sweet deal, totally artist friendly, which is probably why, unfortunately, I think they went out of business because it was like super generous to the artist and to the label. Um, we loved it. It was awesome. And I remember thinking like, this was a something that they did monthly. And I remember thinking, 
oh my gosh, like what an incredible opportunity that's just opened up. My next release with the labels coming out in four months from now, I'm going to send it to them and we're going to get vinyl made for us every time we have a new release. And we now have a vinyl partner who's going to do, who's going to pay us to press vinyl. Like this is insane. And the second, the next release, they didn't get back to me. They just weren't into it. And I, I never worked with them again. And so I was totally bummed by that because I just thought that this would compound. I thought this new contact would compound. So just, you know, that's, that's something that's, we have to understand and is what should inspire us to keep on creating new opportunities. And that leaves us, leads us to number two uh, of our big macro marketing strategies. And that is to keep being creative, keep releasing new music, encourage your artists to be prolific. I love to say that over and over, but more importantly, enable your artists to be more prolific. That means um, that could be financially enabling them. That could be giving them a, a studio or a space to write and to work on something. And that's harder to see a return on is at a recoupable expense, maybe. But, you know, that's might be if they're in between albums, you just give them, pay for them, take them on a retreat, you know, give them a nice hotel on the beach uh, for a weekend uh, with the band to write something or, or to give them a space. So th this is what enabling our artists to be more prolific is really important. Experiment on each new release, which we just talked about, trying out a new strategy experiment with different genres or formats, look for opportunities to be creative as a record label. This isn't always our default position. We're more business orientated, but we should be modeling ourselves off of our artists with our creativity. And, and, and when we do this to keep track of everything, acknowledge what has worked and what has failed. It's really important that as we're being experimental and we're being creative as record labels, that we're, we're honestly measuring how things were going. I remember a few years ago, uh, I did, I did a, a run of tapes in 2013 and I remember taking them to a record store and the record store was just laughed at me and they're like, where, where are we going to put these? Like, what, what do I do with these? How much do we sell them for? And, it, and, and of course, like we knew that like tape labels were happening already in 2013. And I was becoming a huge fan of tapes because I grew up on tapes as a kid and so I was happy to see them come back. And so I decided that I was going to do like a series where I was going to re-release all of our, our labels, old stuff on cassette. And so I started down that path and I started to brand the series and I released our first two tapes and they didn't sell. I think they sold one copy and it just, my, my, I was being creative. I, I thought I was ahead of the, I thought people, I thought tapes were going to blow up. Um, and I thought our audience would be like, oh, this is cool. But a lot of our audience was just kind of like, what? I don't you know what I mean. And, and they were, a lot of them had yet even to be turned onto vinyl. So tapes was a little bit too foreign. So, um, that was a huge lesson learned. And I mean, that's something that I look back on and go, I didn't, I didn't fully measure, uh, and, and anticipate this. Um, and so my experience with tapes back then is, is kind of seared in my memory uh, and it's something I had to be honest with myself and and learn from. So it, keep track of everything that you try. Number three is don't copy or recycle major label strategies. We've talked about this many times on the show, and it, it needs a constant reminder. Ask yourself why you're doing what you do. Are these are, are these just traditions that you don't know the origins of? What is the objective of what you're doing? What is the tangible? objective of pre-release singles? What is the tangible objective of pre-orders? 
Why vinyl? These aren't all bad things, of course not, but it is a bad thing if you don't have any idea of why you're doing it or what your ideal outcome is. That's bad business. I'm drawn to and, and, and inspired by the labels and individuals in our field who have challenged the concept of things like touring exhaustively or overpaying for major studios or hiring PR sometimes or doing albums versus EPs or just singles. One of the common things I end up chatting with new labels about when I do a coaching call is it's great you have this plan that you think you should be doing, but why? What is the end goal? The goal isn't to do the thing. The goal is that the thing is what the thing brings you. Let's go back to those previous examples. So if it's running a pre-order, are you trying to front end sales for SoundScan? Remember, that was the, the origins of pre-orders is to get people when they're in the store, buy this album. It's not even out yet, but buy it and we'll give you a tote bag or we'll give you a sticker or a chance to meet the artist in person uh, because they were trying to front load sales for for Billboard to, to try to chart the albums because on release day, it would count all of the previous week's sales. And that same thing happened with digital pre-orders uh, on Bandcamp even and digital pre-orders on iTunes. And so if that's your strategy, if it's SoundScan, then fine. Is that is that a big deal for you? Do you need cash ahead of time? That's That's one of the reasons why I do pre-orders is because I just think anybody who's kind of excited about the album and wants to sign up ahead of time for it, like it's kind of nice. I could use the cash because I've had to prepay for my vinyl. I maybe have the second half of the the vinyl costs coming up or some other expense. And so getting cash in for the album a month before it comes out is kind of nice. If you're doing pre-release singles, are you drumming up interest for the new album? Is that why you're doing pre-release singles? Because remember, these are traditional things. Are you trying to pitch each one to a playlist? Great. Those are all tangible objectives that produce tangible results. When I started doing singles many years ago before the concept of playlists, I was just copying labels, right? Major labels would drop a new single. And so I just thought that I had to drop a new single. But I didn't necessarily at the time have a tangible reason or objective? Why are you doing vinyl pressing? Do your fans primarily primarily listen to music on vinyl? Do you have a physical distributor already set up? And so again, none of these traditional label things are inherently bad or should be abandoned by indies. It's just critical that we ask ourselves why and what plan do we have in place to make this the right decision? That's all. One other thing I should mention is what can you do that major major record labels can't do? What does your agility enable you to do that might be a more involved process for a bigger label? What do you have access to that they don't? Your local community? Is it your personality, your generosity? That's really something you should highlight. Reading a great book, by the way, I'll do a review on it later um, from XL uh, Recordings. Uh, <clears throat> and, you know, they're talking a lot about these major artists who chose to to sign with a relatively unknown indie as opposed to some of the major label opportunities. And it's oftentimes it's their ethos. It's their personality of the label owner. It's their generosity uh, in their contracts and in, in their agreements. I absolutely love it when I come across a record label who seems to be using their perceived weaknesses as their strengths. And I think that's something that we can do um, that separates us from some from bigger labels. Number four, 
Are you having fun? I'm having fun. Number four, share ideas with the record label community. Use Twitter and Facebook and Reddit. Those are all communities that we have. They're very active and use them as a workshop to test out new marketing strategies. Don't don't protect your ideas. Like this, these aren't proprietary ideas. Like don't be afraid of sharing with the community. We can learn from our peers and we can help younger labels know what works and what isn't worth their time. Uh, document and share your progress. Keep notes or a spreadsheet on what is working with a campaign and what has been a waste of money or a waste of time. Measure your success. Find out what social media platform drove visits to your band camp or your website. Use your previous campaign to inform your next campaign and, and share that. Share that data and share that information with the community um, because I see this in our Facebook group all the time where people say, should I do this? And then somebody follows up and says, I did that and here's what happened. And I've actually been trying to make videos of, you know, testing out Submit Hub. As an example, I did this on our Facebook community where I took $20 on Submit Hub and I documented the process so that I could waste my $20 and and show them what how, what my objectives were and let them see inside of the platform spending money and then seeing what does that result in, how many approvals did I get? And then actually from those playlist uh, placements, how many streams did I actually make? Did I even make back that $20? Um, spoiler, I didn't. So um, that's what I think is really important is that when you can do these things, experiment and then share them with our community. So make sure you're networking with other record labels here in our community, uh, the, the Facebook community I mentioned, Facebook, just go to facebook.otherrecordlabels.com and it'll take you right to our group. Um, and, you know, Facebook has problems and I have a kind of a dummy throwaway account I use just for that group um, because I love it so much. Learn from the guests that we have on here. We have uh, a really special label coming on soon to talk about marketing. I was trying to get it into the series, but it, um, they're coming soon. Stay tuned. But I've heard from a, a lot of you that eavesdropping on these podcast episodes have been really helpful for you. And I hope that they can continue to be so. Uh, even if just to com commiserate or to find comfort. I remember our very first episode, which I recorded almost five years ago now, was with Trouble in Mind Records. And this was a label I absolutely adore and admired. And I asked him in the, in the episode, I said, what's your secret to getting press for your new releases? And he's like, I don't have a secret. They won't respond to my emails. And I remember just being blown away, but almost being very encouraged. I'm like, oh, good. We're all the same. Like here I was thinking that everyone else was doing something that I wasn't doing or had cracked a code I had yet to crack. Um, but I found that very encouraging. And that's one of the things I love about this, this podcast is to be able to have that honesty and transparency from, from even bigger, uh, more reputable labels than me. I, I just find that really encouraging. And, and also another thing you can do with your community is to start a collective in your city. This is something I, I had thought I cannot, you know, I'm a little bit too old and introverted now and, and stuck in my ways, but in the early days, I had kind of wished that there was a, some other labels in town and they were sharing an office even. And I was like, I should have shelled out some money and, and joined them. I think some really incredible things could have happened from that. Early on in this show, we had a bunch of labels from uh, this Portland label collective. Uh, I don't remember the name of it and I don't know if they're still going. If you guys are still going, let me know. 
Um, but there was like six or seven labels who were all part of this Portland community. And I think they were meeting monthly or bi-monthly. Um, that's something amazing. And I think you could do that in your community, in your city. If you're in a big city, I think that could be really cool. Or maybe just a, a group of labels in the same genre and you guys meet monthly on Zoom. I'd love to facilitate that on other record labels. I'm working my butt off to make that happen in some way. Um, but you can do it on your own. Number five and finally is uh, to think long term. Let's end this idea that albums die after release day. Nobody wants that to be true, but we all sort of comply and abandon our latest release. New things are easier to get excited about, not just for the public or the press, but even for us. I get that. But let's see if we can start a trend where we no longer put such a heavy emphasis on release day or the lead up and instead emphasize the long life that an album should and does have. Look at the requent, uh, the, the, the requent, <laughs> the recent acquisitions of, of back catalogs by these major investors, right? Neil Young. Bob Dylan, Phil Collins. I bought Phil Collins' back catalog. I, I came up with $33 million. I had it lying around, so I, was, I, I thought it'd be fun to own those songs. But anyway, if you look at the acquisitions of these major artists, uh, Tom Petty, I think as well, sold these songs. There's obviously money in the back catalogs, right? That these, these investors know that, that one of the benefits of streaming is this idea of um, albums kind of coming back to the forefront and getting... Um, reinvigorated every year or at different times, which is really cool. So let's create strategies that involve promoting records months and years after release day, months and years after release day, build a marketing plan that caters specifically to your back catalog. So, so start today and let's think about it for the new year. Maybe how are we going to be really intentional with promoting albums that are a year old, five years old, 10 years old, we talk about in the book about a post-release strategy, the idea that a new campaign starts on release day. Day one of a new campaign starts on the at, at the finish line of your first campaign, which was the pre-release strategy, and your post-release strategy um, starts after release day. For my last two records, I've done the exact same thing. I release uh, another merch item or a, a format, <clears throat> excuse me, a few weeks after the release. I save one or two B-sides to release as standalone singles, usually within six months of the album. I do an acoustic album and an instrumental album staggered throughout the year after the album comes out. This is just my plan that's easy for me to do and to pull off and kind of uh, continues to exploit some of the fixed costs of making the record. Uh, in fact, I have, I personally, and you do what works for you, but I have a 12-month plan that starts on release day. And I generally try to end an album campaign on or just after the release's first birthday. I, I often feel like until a release has had a birthday, you're still on the clock for that release. Take a look at, at how you discover music. You're oblivious to when something was released. Is it good? Yes or no. Do you like it? Yes or no. My favorite album of 2020, I was embarrassed by this, but my favorite album of 2020 came out in 2019, but I was like, this is my favorite album of the year. I've been listening. I discovered it in January, 2020. I didn't realize it had come out a few months earlier. I had missed it. And it was my favorite album of the year. I couldn't put it on my list because everyone's like, well, that didn't come out in 2020, but it was my favorite album. So I'm kind of oblivious to when things release, but we need to be more conscious of the evergreen nature of our records. In fact, over 80% of music that is streamed is considered back catalog. 
which is essentially older than 12 months, I believe. So obviously fans are treating albums as evergreen, forever pieces of content. that, And they're not thinking of a release as social fodder in the, in the ways that we often sometimes do. Um, so let's stop perpetuating that. This is a big thing when it comes to thinking long-term is, is how can we market our releases? Of course, leading up to release day that you're never going to have more excitement and more mystery on, on the days and, and weeks and months leading up to release day. And that, I love that as a music fan, I love that anticipation. Um, but there's also, uh, a lot of discovery that's happening months and years after the fact. So I hope you found these helpful. Number one, different artists have different needs when it comes to marketing and promoting themselves and their releases. Number two, keep being creative and enabling creativity. Number three, don't copy or recycle major label strategies. Number four, share ideas with the record label community. And number five, think long-term. As always, I don't want you to miss anything or lose the notes from today's episode. So you can access them at otherrecordlabels.com slash marketing. And this can be found in our weekly Record Label Insights newsletter. So make sure you're receiving those as well. Thanks for listening.